Hey guys, it's Heather here with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I am so excited. I have the man, the myth, the legend. I have Pork Ryan, the pork evangelist, on the show today, and I am so excited to share this with you guys. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Pork Ryan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on here, Heather. And uh, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, I was like, oh, wow, man, I, I didn't even pay her to say that. Um, so, you know, for that, I give you a, um, so I appreciate that love and support. Uh, but yeah, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm Pork Ryan, the Pork Evangelist. Um, I'm an award-winning international agricultural educator and agribusiness consultant, uh, travel across the world, um, especially across the country, really just to teach people about not just the farming practices, regenerative farming practices, not even just the farm business and marketing, but also really how to look at the inner soul and see how you can expand and grow with your business, with your homestead, with your farm, uh, not just as a brand, not just even as a farm, but really expanding and growing your soul. And so super grateful for the healing that I've been able to experience through farming and also how, you know, with farming comes a lot of opportunities to grow emotionally and mentally. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think what you're doing is a beautiful thing. You have touched so many souls across the world and, and that is an amazing thing. How did you get started in farming in the first place? <laughs> did you grow well, up on a farm? Oh, Lord, no. Oh, man, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, so I, when I was, I was born and raised in uh, Union County, Monroe, North Carolina. And, um, I was, I was exposed to like country living, but not farming. Um, so the only agriculture I really saw on a big scale was the Tyson chicken plant that was about a mile away from my grandmother's house. So at night you can smell the chicken blood and the bleach in the middle of the night. It's the most disturbing, disgusting thing you can smell. <laughs> Uh, but that's what I, that was my exposure to like agriculture, American agriculture was that. Um, so my first love actually wasn't farming. It was the environmental sciences and nature. Uh, for me, growing up as a kid, um, you know, a single parent home um, really felt uh, inadequate and felt abandoned um, through that. And so I felt like I needed a safe space and going out in nature, going out either to the backyard or going to a park really allowed for me to connect with something greater than myself and allowed for me to feel a little bit more comfortable and calm in the environment that I didn't have to feel like I could control, but that I could be free in. And so, you know, fell in love with, with all that only until I went to um, university did I start to fall in love with agriculture as my second passion, my second love uh, with agriculture. One thing that my dean said was, agriculture is not just farming. And I was like, what? What do you mean it's not just farming? It, it is farming. <laughs> and but what he meant by it's not just farming, it's economics, it's energy, it's textile and fiber, it's uh, housing, it's healthcare. It encompasses everything that we do as a civilization. Did you know, Heather, that many, many years ago, people would go to war just for farmland to feed their people. Absolutely. I and mean, still we're still happens. doing it today. Yeah, <laughs> Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, you know, it was really important for me to see that agriculture was this new love where I can connect all the dots of humanity and never get bored. Uh, so I won a USDA, a national award, and that allowed for me to really invest deeper in agriculture. But I was conflicted. Because the reality is um, agriculturalists don't like environmentalists and the environmentalists don't like the agriculturalists. <laughs> they hate right? each other. 
<laughs> we keep blaming one another. Uh, but I knew that agriculture stems from the environmental sciences, that the environmental sciences was a mother of agriculture. So how can we bridge and build a connection between the two groups? And that's when I dropped out of college. And um, my mom did not like that at all, um, but dropped out of college and started farming as a farm intern and eventually worked my way up, up to being a farm manager on a regenerative um, farming operations. That's kind of how my story started. That is so cool. I mean, to go, we have a very similar backstory. Um, I went to school to be a doctor, actually. Um, I was I was going to go into uh, medicine. So I have a biochemistry background. And I decided that being a doctor wasn't for me because I'm not into the synthetic medications. I have always been somebody who looks to nature to, to treat and heal myself. And when I realized that what I was looking to do as a career wasn't going to align with who I am as a person, I realized I had a conflict. And so like you, I dropped out of college and my mom was really not happy with me my dad was also very not happy with me and I made a, a you know an abrupt shift and it's taken me a while to get back to where I wanted to be into homesteading so I can relate more than you know I think that's why I connected so much with you and uh you do a lot of mission work too I mean you you do the the farm consulting here in the states but you travel the world and do this I mean that's that's an amazing thing so tell us about some of your mission work yeah so um I uh, go overseas mostly to East Africa, so uh, Uganda, or they, they would actually pronounce it Uganda, and uh, Tanzania, or Tanzania, if you got a country accent, <laughs> and, um, you know, going over there, it was a beautiful opportunity because uh, in my early farming career as an intern, I had a farm manager who was over me, and um, we had a visitor from, I think, um, Rwanda or Nigeria, and two very different countries, by the way. Um, and uh, I was showing them around the farm and, and tell them about the animals and, and, the, and the organic uh, vegetable garden that we were doing. And he was so excited that he invited me over to his home country. So I told my farm manager about it. And my farm manager just looked at me and said, you know what? I don't really think you're ready for that. And uh, it's my fault. I don't think I've done a good enough job training you to, to be ready for that. Uh, I was so defeated, Heather, hearing that. Wow. Um, it like broke my heart and my spirit in ways I didn't realize could break. Um, but six months later, um, after leaving that farm and moving on to a different farm to manage, God opened the door through an opportunity uh, with an organization called Eat Beta, um, E-A-T-B-E-T-A. -E I did not create this, uh, but it stands for Evangelizing Africa Through Business Empowerment and the Transformation of Agriculture. Uh, so they reached out to me and said, hey, uh, we're starting our first mission trip, and we would love for you to come. Don't worry about a plane ticket. Do you, Can you just show up? Just show up. We'll pay for a plane ticket in the hotel, everything. Just show up and teach the Ugandan people on how to farm best practices of livestock and produce. Uh, so went over there the first year back in 2017, and life-changing experience. Um, I learned so much, and I was able to really understand the true value of an educator and why education is so important. Not, not this, uh, not this uh, prison-style indoctrinating public school education. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, education where you get hands-on experience. Education where you actually get to be in the moment working on animals, working on produce, showing people directly, and allowing them to see how things actually need to be done outside of a textbook. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I grew up as an educator because I realized that 
I like to use my words a lot and I like to be fancy with my words. Uh, over there, you're not, you don't need to be fancy because I have an interpreter and uh, my interpreter doesn't know all the words that I know. So I have to, as an educator, be forced to use simpler words to explain things simpler. And so I generally go there every year, uh, not just to teach and train, but to also hone my communication skills. So that way when I come back to the States, I can bring a simpler message that can have the most impact and the most effect uh, towards people on their farming journey. Right. Well, and I imagine it really helps learn a lot of like context and situational differences because farming practices in Africa, I'm sure are substantially different than farming practices in America, right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember one time uh, I was in a, a very small village, uh, in the more desertous area of Uganda. And I remember teaching about pigs. And so one of the issues was like a lack of protein in their diets for the pigs. These, this was not homesteading. This was like subsistence farming mm -hmm. on poverty level subsistence farming. Mm -hmm. And so you see really emaciated pigs that didn't look all that great. Uh, and so I mentioned, oh, well, you know, as a source of protein, one option might be to feed it like beans. Uh, you don't want to use raw beans because they can't digest that very well. You probably want to be able to kind of cook the beans a little bit and then feed that to them. So I mentioned that just just, just very casually. And um, after my session, they kind of gathered amongst themselves and they were talking. And I was kind of curious what they were saying. But uh, one of the uh, coordinators that was with me said, hey, I just want to let you know, um, you know, when you mentioned feeding beans to the pigs, uh, they were very perplexed by that because they can barely feed themselves. And so the idea to feed the pigs beans just was, whoops, sorry. Well, I'm going on. My apologies. You're uh, fine. <laughs> so the idea to, to feed pigs beans when they can barely feed themselves was absurd. It just, it, it just didn't make any sense. So that showed me that I really need to go, needed to go back to the drawing board when it came to understanding the context. So instead of me teaching, I learned first and then taught. Um, so, you know, over here we talk about, oh, regenerative agriculture. And if it's not organic, then it's nothing. And it's evil. We hate it. Um, you know, but the reality is there is no pasture pork production in Africa um, because we have, they have four legged predators that will eat their pigs. They also have two-legged predators, AKA humans, that will steal their pigs or slaughter their pigs on site and then take the carcass and run away from it. So they have to have some type of an indoor system. Um, so I've been able to incorporate practices that are regenerative in nature. Um, and one story is um, they uh, usually will have plantain plantations, banana plantations, and they would need to cut off branches of the um, banana leaf that might get infected. Uh, and so I said, um, hey, you know, like, have you guys ever fed uh, these things, these banana leaves to the pigs? They mm -hmm. looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like I brought the leaf, banana leaf, went to mm -hmm. the pig pen. And I said, okay, just, just, just look, 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 look at this real quick. And um, the pigs, I waved over the pigs. The pigs were curious, interested. And I said, watch this. Threw the banana leaves in the pig pen. The pigs looked at it strangely because they've never seen it before. Right. Looked at it, looked at it. And then they start to mob over the banana leaf. <laughs> they were like fighting over it, beating each other over it. But after about a 30-second hustle, you can hear this beautiful sound, the most beautiful sound that any pig farmer could hear. And it went like this. <laughs> I was like, 
I was like, y'all hear that sound? Y'all hear that sound? That's a happy pig. Pigs munching on, on banana leaves. So I was able to show how, you know, feeding any uh, waste, vegetable waste, um, any leafy waste uh, to the pigs was able to help them with fiber in their diet and also help them with macro and micronutrients. And so they were really excited about incorporating those practices uh, into pigs, which will never see uh, roaming free range uh, landscape uh, for their pig operation. Definitely a culture difference there with the farming practices for sure. <laughs> now we're talking about pigs. You are pork rind. How did you get into pigs? I guess I should backstep a little bit here. So have you always had kind of a thing for pigs? Has that always been your strong suit or is that something that you kind of were led to? Like what brought you into the pork industry and how did you become the pork evangelist? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I used to hate pigs, believe it or not, Heather. <laughs> I feel that. Pigs. <laughs> um, pigs were, uh, so when I first started as an intern, uh, pigs were, I had all the other enterprises figured out. I had beef cattle figured out. Uh, we had a grade A raw dairy operation. I had that figured out. I was managing that full-time too. Um, we had a, a poultry, pasture poultry, had that figured out. I had everything figured out. And goats are hard to figure out. But I even had the goats figured out. So the only thing I couldn't figure out was the pigs because <laughs> our, it, it, the, our infrastructure wasn't meant for pigs. It was meant for herbivores. Um, you know, no one on the farm liked pigs by the time I got there. Uh, so <laughs> they didn't even have a good attitude about the pigs. And so, um, you know, I, I very quickly realized how destructive pigs could be when they don't get what they want. I oh, yeah. also realized that, uh, they can break out of infrastructure. Um, so we had a moment where I had a day off, so to speak, and, um, <laughs> they had to bring me back to the farm because, our, our Sal Louise, a 600-pound English large black uh, heritage breed pig, had broke out of four different enclosures, and they couldn't contain her. So they're like, hey, can you come back? So I came back, put her <laughs> in an isolation pen. She had plenty of pasture in the pen, plenty of space, shelter, bedding, water, feed, everything a pig could want to need, right? So mm -hmm. I locked her up in our chain link fence gate, which, again, that's a no-no for pigs. We'll explain why. Um, and, uh, I basically thought I'd save the day. So I walk away feeling victorious and confident in myself. And then something just said, turn around. And I turned back around. That's all Louise at the gate. You know, she's grunting. I'm like, ah, she's fine. I just kept on walking, <laughs> you know, kept on walking. Turn around one more time. I was like, who's here at the gate? Uh, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. So I'm, I'm basically at my vehicle at this point. And I just think, you know, something just don't feel right. Some, Heather, something just don't feel right. <laughs> so then I turn around one more time, and that's when it happened. Louise literally gave this big bellowing screech. Like, pigs don't go oink, oink. I don't know who came up with that. Pigs don't go yeah. oink, oink. This sow screamed. She was like, shriek. And she, um, she busted through the gate by lifting it <laughs> off its hinges and flinging it like 20 feet into the air. I kid <laughs> you not. That okay. that gate, the gate went skyborne. <laughs> it just flew. And by the time that gate was, it had probably about, it felt like 10 seconds of hang time in the air. Um, there was a triangular dent where her nose met the bottom frame of that gate. Oh man. Um, so I was, I, I was blown away and also very utterly defeated. Um, because I, at that point I was like, I'm done with pigs. I, I am done with pigs. 
done. Absolutely <laughs> done. We're getting rid of all of them today. No, we're getting all of them rid of now. I'm putting them all on Craigslist, all of them. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Louise, she comes trotting to me. Pigs don't usually trot. So she was victorious. She was doing a victory lap. So she was trotting <laughs> over to me, trotting over to me. And I think that's when God was like, hey, you need the moment. And we, you, you're not really doing things the way that things need to be done. And so I had a come to Jesus moment and um, I got down on one knee. Uh, I did not propose to Louise, um, <laughs> but uh, I did grab her by her big, fat, juicy jaws because she's 600 pound sugar mama. And uh, I looked her in the face and said, Louise, I want to love you so hard. I said this with a strained voice. I want to love you so hard that just maybe I'll understand you because right now I don't. Um, I believe before there was ever a brand, before the slogans, before going across overseas and speaking all over the place, that is when Pork Rind was born. That was when he was born. When I had a moment where I realized I didn't know it all and that my best efforts still could not allow for me to have the success that I needed. And so I learned what true love was through pigs. <laughs> it's a it's a and, crazy way, but yeah, makes sense. So yeah, you know, true love is observation. If you love someone, you observe them. So I was spending time with the pigs, got to just watch them. I just put up a chair, watched them play for hours on end. And then they start playing with me. True love is being playful, right? So you're playing uh -huh. with the people that you love. You know, and so um I was playing, I was being observant, and I was also catering to their needs. I realized that the issues I was having with pigs were issues that I created because I didn't understand their needs. It was a user error for all my technical people. <laughs> um, and so that was a moment where I realized like, oh, you know, pigs are very misunderstood and I misunderstood them. I thought they were stupid, dirty animals. They're actually highly intelligent, about the IQ of a four to five-year-old. Um, they're actually very hygienic if you give them the space to be hygienic. Um, and I could resonate with that because for most of my life, especially as a kid, I felt misunderstood. I didn't feel desired. I felt inadequate. And I could understand and resonate on a deeper level with pigs on that. That's that's a beautiful thing. And that's that's the day that pork Ryan was born. And your name really is Ryan, but the pork got added after Louise and you had a moment, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I tell I tell people that my mama named me Ryan. I just add the pork on top. That's all. That's a beautiful thing. And, you know, so you're the pork evangelist. You you started out with this love with Louise and you learned from there. And now you're preaching the pork gospel all over the world. So what exactly is a pork evangelist? Because I know <laughs> when I say that, people are going to say, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's only one, the pork evangelist. That'll be me, pork Ryan. Um, But I do think that uh, I love to create uh, pork evangelists around whenever I go speak at an event because a lot of people are so insecure about getting pigs. I hear all these sorts of like, oh, well, you know, me and the me and the spouse, you know, we have chickens and, and we have goats or horses, but we're really timid about these pigs. Uh, I, I, one of my favorite questions I keep getting asked is, is it true that pigs eat people? <laughs> you don't hear that about any other farm animal except for pigs, Heather. Any it's other true. farm animal. <laughs> That's true. I don't hear it about any other ones. Oh, so I get asked that by homesteaders and regular folks. Is it true <laughs> that pigs eat people? Uh, and so there's a lot of fear, again, misunderstanding about pigs. Now, I do tell them pigs can eat people. 
Chickens can also eat people. It just takes a little bit longer. Um, you know, but pigs can eat people. As long as you're moving around and you're not dead, you're you're pretty much fine. Um, you know, and so, uh, but but really helping them understand the curiosity of the pigs, uh, the beautiful nature of the pigs, um, using their intelligence for you, not against you. Um, you know, doing your due diligence, not half, uh, oh, I can't cuss here, but not half butting it. You know, there are a lot of homesteaders that, that can say, hey, you know, hey, you're pork run. Hey, nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, do you have pigs? And like, oh, yeah, we're getting pigs tomorrow. I was like, oh, cool. So like, do you have the, the fencing and everything set up? Oh, well, we're, we're getting that uh, later. Like, we, oh, well, not yet, but we're going to work. And I'm just looking at them like, you do know you should have that all set up before the pigs even come. So that way when the pigs come, you're not chasing a pig for, for a week and a half because you didn't have stuff set up. I'm not kidding. People have chased pigs for a week and a half because they escaped because they didn't have stuff set up. Um, you know, so really just evangelizing people into into understanding that pigs can actually be a great asset to the land. Um, they're great at tilling the land. So if you have land that um, is, let's say, fallow, land has not been used for a while, um, let pigs run through that and destroy everything, all the invasive plant species, all the undesirables, and then you can weed whack whatever's still left. But if you give them the space and opportunity, they can be a great asset to property management and also to your your gut, your belly, you know, because, you know, bacon is everywhere. We love bacon. <laughs> Indeed. Butter and bacon, they make everything better. Get a bad recipe, add bacon or butter, you're good. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Yes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, so with with all of your background and all of the things you do, there's a lot of folks that are in my area. So I'm an urban farmer and I have a small homestead. We have just under half an acre. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks like me that are homesteading that are ready to start taking their homestead and making it into a business. Um, so do you have any tips or advice for folks that are looking to make that jump or things they should think of beforehand? You know, you don't get pigs before you have the infrastructure. And I, I feel like you shouldn't go into a business until you kind of have a plan and know what you're, you know, getting into, right? I, I completely agree, Heather, 100%. I think the the issue with not just homestead, but entrepreneurs in general is them not doing the research beforehand. Uh, when people ask me, you know, how many pigs should I get starting out? I always say two. I'll say uh, no more than two and no less than two because pigs are could, like social animals. They need another person. Uh, so I tell them like, if unless you're going to be in the pen with them all day, you're going to need another pig. Um, <laughs> and so uh, and no more than two because, you know, you want to keep things a little bit more manageable. But the reason why I say that, usually they'll say like, okay, well, I only need one pig. And I'm like, yeah, so another pig you're going to sell to pay for the feed and 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 um and the expense of raising both your pig and, and the other pig. So you're automatically gonna learn how to make friends. You're gonna make friends through by selling this other pig. Um, you know, and so it, before people even get the pig, start asking people around them, hey, do you also need bacon? Like, you know, homemade bacon, home raised, home raised pork. Um, and you make friends that way and say, okay, cool. So um, you know, here's how much I'm thinking it's gonna cost to uh, you know, raise out a pig for you. And you just give an estimate for that. And you tell them what kind of feed they're going to be eating and, and what are feeding programs and how long it's going to take. And mm -hmm. then you get, you create community buy-in that way. Well, now you've made a friend. Hey, homesteading, making friends. Yes. Yay. 
um, but also you're able to uh, start your journey on entrepreneurship. So once you get that paycheck, and here's the reality, you're probably, people, most people like lowball themselves, not realizing it. But once you get that little taste of profit in your mouth, like once you get that taste of like a really good pork chop in your mouth for the first time, you don't <laughs> ever want to go back. Same thing with profit. Once you get a taste of profit, you're like, hmm, how, how, how can I get some more of that? How can I get some more of that profit? That, that was pretty fun. That right. first time we paid for everything. Um, <laughs> so that's one thing that I tell people is, you know, when you're starting out, uh, make friends through bartering and trading, make friends through, um, you know, being able to, to raise more than you actually need. Um, now, going into like business mindset, I think one of the issues that we have today in homesteading is um, really like what I, I hate to use this word, but I guess I would call it like the Joel Salvin curse, uh, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is a lot of people get into homesteading or want to go into full scale farming and they think they need to be like Joel Salatin in order to be successful, period. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is, no, you actually don't need to be like Joel Salatin because with the Joel Salatin model, you have three components that are the hardest components to getting around when it comes to starting your homestead or, or farm. One is you need a lot, you need access to land, a lot of land usually. You know, you can have like 10 acres, five, 10 acres, maybe a little bit more, that's fine. Um, but guess what? How are you gonna get the land, right? So then we go into, you need capital, you need access to capital, right? That's number two. And so when going, when scaling out, the only way to make more money in the raw commodities of selling produce or meats is you have to continue to grow your land operation. Heather, Sorry about you... that. We lost Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. Do I need a? Where should I start? Restart. Uh, so we were you were talking about the curse of the the Joel Salatin curse, where you think you've got to start enormous and you've got to do all of these things, but unless you have massive amounts of acreage and then that's when it cut off i'm so sorry about that restart okay cool cool I can... you're fine you're fine i can repeat that um so yeah you know when it comes to what i call the joel salton curse um a lot of the people make the assumption that in order for them to be successful in farming then they have a lot of lands uh and be like joel salton joel salton has a lot of land um he has access to capital and he also has a large labor force it's hard to get those three, especially in synergy. Uh, so that's one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of new and beginning homesteaders and full-time farmers is being able to find land, good land, that's not 20 hours from the nearest city, uh, being able to find capital and have capital. You know, people are still paying off student loans, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, buying land for another, for another <laughs> loan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Heather, you know, you know. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you know, and so um, I'm debt free uh, as of uh, March of 2020. Um, and I want to keep it that way. But the reality is, uh, unless God drops me some property, I'm probably going to have to take a loan out uh, to get some more land. Um, you know, so one thing I'll say is uh, the last thing I'll say is, you know, a large labor force. Because as you're expanding the land, you have to expand the amount of animals or the amount of produce that you're producing. And that requires more hands. Well, we have a labor shortage in agriculture. A lot of people don't like, who are American, especially, don't even want to work. You might pay them $15 an hour to be out in the field. They don't care. They don't want to show up. Um, mm -hmm. So that's across the board. 
So I'm, I'm, I, I, I teach how to be successful in that, but that's never, that's never like my creme de la creme of how to make money. Because reality is with raw commodities, you're making the least amount of money out of all other enterprises and ventures. Um, so where, where you really are going to make money as a new beginning homesteader entrepreneur is being able to focus on the top three things that I teach the most. Agrotourism, how do we create memorable experiences on your farm or property homestead that people want to keep coming back over and over again and bring their friends and family, aka new customers? Um, <laughs> how do we, uh, the next one would be uh, agroeducation. How do we teach life transformative skills that people can take back onto their homestead or to their family and teach for generations and generations and generations and generations and generations? <laughs> um, and then last but not least, value-added products. How do we create products that are that went from raw to shelf-stable, that you can put a really nice brand on it that can be shipped across the country without, you know, ice or vacuum, you know, without all the all the dry ice and all that other nonsense. You know, and that can, again, have a really nice brand and that anyone could be able to buy. So those are the things that I focus on the most because those are the three areas where anyone who's going into, whether they're wanting to go into full-time farming or home setting, can make the most money. You don't have to slave out in the field. Again, I've, I've, I've experienced it. I used to live off $500 a month. Like, I, I, I'm, living, I'm saying this from experience. I have made more money focusing on agroeducation than I ever did slaving out there in the field. And I don't say that because I'm black, right? You know, so, <laughs> so um, you know, I think that's the important part is I realize that I have expertise. Let me leverage my expertise to actually generate even more income than I would trading my time for labor. Absolutely. That's how it was for me. I, you know, I started this, we started our farm, um, which so we are hogs and hens urban farm. Ironically, we don't have hogs on our farm, um, but sad. my husband, Bob, so and sad. I, <laughs> it is really, so really, really disheartening. <laughs> I want them so bad, but we we are hogs and hens because we both like to ride motorcycles. We have Harleys. So that's the hogs and our hogs and hen. And it's why our logo is our chicken, Amy. It's her outline sitting on the handlebars of a motorcycle. So that's where that came from. But we live in the city. We live in Dayton, Ohio. We live right in town. We aren't in the suburbs. We're not out in the country. We are smack dab in the middle of town. If you look through the trees behind us, you see this, the skyscrapers in the background, right? So for us, you know, we don't have the ability to add acreage and add extra livestock and things to to bring in income. So to make this work, I had to figure out another way. And that's how the podcast started. So many people were reaching out to me and saying, how are you doing this? Like, how do you have a farm in the city? Like, you're crazy. And I got so tired of repeating it over and over. I, I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm just going to send them there. And I didn't in a million years think that anybody was going to listen to what I had to say about these things. And then suddenly I, I started getting notifications that like I'm I'm hitting new new milestones and listeners. And I'm like, oh, people do care about what I have to say. And so I kind of took off from there and, you know, from there became the speaking engagements. And it's it's really taken off. I, I think you're right. I mean, expanding acreage and, and adding, you know, produce and, and more livestock is great. But especially for the for the people that I am focused on, which is the urban sector, the agritourism and things. You're right. That is that is it, man. And speaking of urban homesteading, do you have any tips for those of us that don't have sprawling acreage um, for things, you know, like 
things that maybe we hadn't thought of that could be things to add in aside from the agrotourism and things like that. Do you have any tips or ways that you can think of anything that is different specifically for urban homesteaders? So I think the beauty of being an urban homesteader is your audience is literally your neighbor. Like you don't have to travel far because you are literally in prime real estate, prime market uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to, you know, meeting your ideal customer or your ideal network. Uh, and I love um, one of your previous, like later uh, recent podcasts when you're talking about social networking. Um, I had a uh, missionary who I just took, just flew back on a plane um, early, early this morning. Um, he's from Uganda. He's one of the farmers who uh, I trained um, for a few years. And um he was doing uh, fundraising, but he called it friend raising, you know, yes. just making connections, making friends, um, you know, and he's doing that to help his local church in a community that's, that it's supporting, you know, so I really think that uh, one of the biggest issues in farming and being able to capitalize on the rock commodities or on the resources you have on your land is that you're usually an hour, sometimes even two hours away from a major city. Heather, you're in Dayton, Ohio. Now, come on, come on. It is Ohio, O H I O. But, yeah. but, but, it's still you still have more people and more access to people than you ever had before. So, what's stopping someone like you from teaching a sourdough class? And it's also funny in that that podcast. You're like, oh, I messed up on sourdough, you know. <laughs> um, but you're learning. But you're learning how to make sourdough. Guess what? Do that. Do that for a year. You're going to be better than someone who never has made sourdough in their entire life. And you have people who are who are selling uh, in-person sourdough courses for $250. You have people who are selling sourdough courses online for maybe 50 bucks to 150 bucks. But that's like, you don't even have to show up for that. If the video's already been made and you're just making passive income that way. Um, so, you know, there is no excuse for someone to be able to, to capitalize on their experience and their wealth of knowledge and the opportunity of their land, however small it might be, to generate even some type of income off of it, I think the biggest hurdle is really the mental hurdle, the mental shift that has to happen. And that's where uh, I really focus on after we talk about the business and the, the farming practices is I can teach those things, and, and I have for years taught how to grow, how to raise, um, I've taught how to how to generate income, how how to market things, how to brands, but people were still failing in their farm business. Only until I entered in recovery and had a renewed sense of my connection with God did I realize that people, the reason why they're failing in those areas and failing and running out of business is because they bring their trauma, they bring their insecurity, they bring their disbeliefs, they bring their pains or hurts into how they farm and into how they market themselves. So, you know, a lot of people, I'll say, okay, why are your prices so low? And they're like, oh, well, we're just starting out and, you know, we're just trying to, we, we, we don't want to impose. And I'm like, no, BS, B BS. No, you're not. Why, why are you scared? And then we start having a deeper conversation. And it, with one of my clients, it boiled down to, you know, the reason why I'm scared to move forward is because my father was an alcoholic. He was the, the town drunk. And people knew me based off my father's behavior. I don't want to put myself out there because if I put myself out there, what if I fail? I feel, I'll feel like just like my father did, failing publicly in life. 
So, you know, that's how deep I go with um, my clients is, you know, I will talk about production, how we produce a product and produce it effectively and efficiently. You know, how do how do we brand and market this and, and use social media to leverage uh, those opportunities for, for building capital and resources? But none of that matters if you don't know your identity, if you don't have a, a good self-esteem and you don't know your worth. You will always fail if you don't know your identity, who you are, whose you are, and if you don't understand what your God-given purpose is. So it's so important that people have that as a part of their foundation as they're building up their brand, as they're building up their homestead, and as they're building up um, their business. That's not just good business and farm advice. That's life advice, guys. And that's the power of networking that I was talking about. You know, this is this is the kind of things you get when you get into this lifestyle. You really learn great things and you really take a deeper dive into things. And I think that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing. And you're right. You're 100 percent right. You have to know who you are. Wow. <laughs> that was really profound. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, now, if if folks are interested in um, having you to consult with them and to um, help with their business, or if they're looking to to see you live, um, you and I met at the Indiana Homesteading Conference, and I was I was very moved by by the way you spoke. You are a really young guy, and you are wise beyond your years, and it really it really struck with me. And I I told my husband, I said, I've got to get him on the show. Because you are so young and you've done so many things and you have impacted so many lives. So if somebody wants to come and see you live, are there any upcoming engagements coming up or how do they connect with you? Well, first of all, thanks for even uh, saying all that. I appreciate it. Uh, that wisdom came at a cost um, of a lot of failure and mistakes in my life. But also it came at the cost of the, the people I call friends who made mistakes I hadn't even made yet. And won't have to make um, because I, I chose to live a life where I'm listening to people rather than uh, fighting for my own voice to be heard. Um, so grateful to God on that. And then also, um, you know, uh, recently I was trying to crunch the numbers. I've trained over 6,000 people, both full-time farmers, homesteaders, villagers, because uh, when I go overseas um, and it's just a miracle that I've even had that opportunity to be that impactful to not just my country, but to the world at large. Um, but yeah, people want to connect with me. Um, you can go to porkrine.com. That's P-O-R-K-R-H-Y-N as a Nancy, E as an eagle.com. Um, and then also have a YouTube channel under the same name, Pork Ryan. Uh, But yeah, I'd love to, if you guys are doing a conference, um, in your area, reach out to me, let me know, um, or reach out to the coordinator, actually reach out to the coordinator to, to reach out to me. That makes more sense um, <laughs> on my time. Um, and let me know if you're interested in doing some consulting work as well, uh, whether for production or business and marketing, or, hey, you just need someone to kind of, you're already successful, but you're realizing there are some mental, emotional hurdles that you're trying to navigate through. I'd love to consult you on that as well. Uh, most of my clients actually are um, larger institutions like universities, uh, nonprofit organizations, and for-profit businesses, uh, such as the conference that we went to, mm -hmm. um, you know, but always willing to help out and be of service to anyone who's just a specific individual. Right. 
Well, I thank you so much for your time. Truly, it was a blessing to have you on the show. Folks, definitely check him out, porkrind.com. Find him on YouTube. And if you see his name on an event, make sure you make it there because I'm telling you, when you when you talk to him in person, it's it's a whole nother level. It is a whole nother level. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Heather. And see. <laughs>